You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, the first day of March, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the latest NPR News headlines, we'll have the California Report from KQED Public Radio. Then, National Native News examines the campaign to influence the confirmation of New Mexico Representative Deb Holland as U.S. Secretary of the Interior. And we'll have a roundup of regional weather and local news. For their generous support of KVMR, we thank California Solar Electric Company, a locally owned solar cooperative. California Solar Electric Company is a SunPower Elite dealer designing and installing residential, home battery storage, and commercial solar systems. In Nevada County since 2000, information cal-solar.coop. And Serenos at Main Street of Grass Valley, serving Italian cuisine since 1983. Reopening when safety conditions allow, with customized private dining spaces called Snugs. Prioritizing customer safety when dining in Nevada County. Serenos at MainStreet.com. Here are the latest headlines from National Public Radio. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. There's good news and bad news on the coronavirus front. With the FDA approval of a third vaccine, more doses are flowing into the pipeline. Where the head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, says she's concerned states and individuals may be too quick to ease restrictions put in place to slow the spread of the virus. 70,000 cases a day seems good compared to where we were just a few months ago. But we cannot be resigned to 70,000 cases a day. 2,000 daily deaths. Please hear me clearly. At this level of cases with variant spreading, we stand to completely lose the hard-earned ground we have gained. As Johnson & Johnson has begun shipping its new single-dose vaccine, about 15% of Americans have now received at least one shot. Fewer than 8% are fully vaccinated. Some religious leaders, meanwhile, are expressing concerns about the new Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. NPR's Tom Jelton says the issue is the vaccine was developed using fetal cell lines as the result of abortions. Neither of the vaccines in wide use right now, Pfizer and Moderna, used abortion-derived cell lines. But the new Johnson & Johnson vaccine did use such lines. The Catholic Archdiocese of New Orleans says that vaccine is therefore, quote, morally compromised. The diocese advises Catholics to use other vaccines if they are available. Some other faith leaders have said the same thing. In guidelines issued last month, the U.S. Catholic Bishops' Conference said vaccines not linked to abortion are preferable, but that it is permissible for Catholics to take whatever vaccine is available if there's no choice. One open question is whether Catholic health facilities will facilitate distribution of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Tom Jelton, NPR News. The chair of the Public Utility Commission of Texas, Deanne Walker, has resigned in the wake of last month's winter storms and power outages that left dozens dead. Texas Public Radio's Paul Fayev reports. Walker said in a letter to Texas Governor Greg Abbott that no one person or group caused the electrical failures last month, but that many people and companies contributed. She called on others, including state regulators, to acknowledge their own responsibility. 
Walker was grilled by legislators in state hearings last week over her performance overseeing those in charge of the state's electrical grid. Many were unhappy with her responses or lack of answers. Bipartisan calls for her resignation followed through the weekend, capped off by that of Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. I'm Paul Flav in San Antonio. U.S. financial markets were up across the board today, posting their best trading session in nine months as traders welcomed to move toward lower long-term rates. The Dow gained 603 points. That was up nearly 2%. The Nasdaq was up 396 points. The S&P gained 90 points today. This is NPR. Giant automaker Fiat Chrysler U.S., otherwise known as FCA, has pleaded guilty to charges it paid off leaders of the United Auto Workers Union in an effort to win concessions in negotiations covering thousands of union auto workers. FCA's admission follows a series of guilty pleas from UAW officials who were showered with more than $3.5 million in cash and other items of value from a jointly run training center in Detroit. One union vice president was able to eliminate a $262,000 home mortgage using training center funds. FCA will pay a $30 million fine. Jazz drummer and band leader Ralph Peterson Jr. has died of cancer at the age of 58. Peterson was mentored by legendary drummer Art Blakey and in turn taught young musicians at the Berklee School of Music. NPR's Anastasia Lucas has this remembrance. Ralph Peterson Jr. had a ferocious energy that drove bands, including his own. He was much in demand as a sideman, but some of his most forceful work came leading his own bands, with whom he recorded over 20 albums. As a young man, Peterson struggled with drug addiction and battled cancer for the last six years of his life. He told Downbeat magazine in 2018, The focus and intensity and pace at which I'm now working and living is directly related to the spiritual wake-up call that tomorrow isn't promised. Anastasia Tsilkas, NPR News, New York. Oil closed lower today, down 86 cents a barrel to close at 60.64 a barrel. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Governor Gavin Newsom and state lawmakers have reached a deal on reopening schools to the state's youngest students by the end of this month. Politico is reporting the agreement doesn't require schools to reopen. Instead, it offers financial incentives to those that do. Those schools stand to get a cut of $6.5 billion earmarked by the state legislature. The deal would not mandate students and staff to get vaccinated before returning to the classroom, nor does it require districts to get approval from teachers' unions before returning. Three women janitors from Fresno have won a settlement in a case against the nation's largest cleaning company, ABM. As the California Report's Sasha Coca explains, the company's been sued repeatedly for failing to protect women from rape and assault. One of the plaintiffs in the case, Araceli Sanchez, says she endured 14 years of harassment while cleaning buildings, including sexual assault and attempted rape. 
by her supervisor while working the night shift. He made me feel like a piece of trash, like I wasn't worth anything, Sanchez says. Twice, he threatened that if I told anybody, he would kill me. The company never told us we had any rights. ABM was a focal point of KQED's groundbreaking investigation, Rape on the Night Shift, produced in 2015. We collaborated with Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting, PBS Frontline, Univision, and UC Berkeley's investigative reporting program to uncover years of sexual harassment complaints against ABM. This new settlement requires ABM janitorial operations in California to develop more robust safety protocols, including things like using a buddy system to pair up workers when dropping off supplies, and creating goals of hiring and promoting more women to supervisory positions. For the California Report, I'm Sasha Coca. Attorneys searching for migrant parents whose children were taken away from them at the border under former President Donald Trump's zero-tolerance policy have made significant progress. KQED's Michelle Wiley reports the parents of 112 separated children have been found over the last month. A federal judge in San Diego, Dana Sabra, applauded the progress in finding missing parents and said he felt encouraged that the Biden administration's newly announced task force on separated families appears to be in line with the ongoing reunification efforts of a lawsuit he's overseeing. But Sabra said the court should remain involved in the process, and he asked that the task force begin providing him updates on its actions. Advocates are still searching for the families of 499 children and believe many of the parents were deported back to Central America. Attorneys for the government say they'll provide an update on the task force in March. For The California Report, I'm Michelle Wiley. Support for The California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. We're going to turn now to an investigation by the Fresno Bee, which finds that black drivers in Fresno are stopped by police at twice the rate of white and Latino drivers. They were also searched and arrested more than other races. Manuela Tobias is the reporter who analyzed police data from the first half of last year. She joins us now. And Manuela, you crunched the numbers, but you also spoke with black drivers in Fresno. What did they tell you about their experiences? We put out a survey as soon as we got the data and got about 100 responses from across Fresno. And specifically, the Black drivers we heard from told us they had had pretty bad experiences with police. Generally, the story that I heard over and over was people were stopped for one reason, which they didn't really find valid, and then were told that the real reason they were stopped was that the police were looking for a stolen vehicle or something other than what they had originally been told they were stopped for. So these experiences have really built distrust among Black drivers, and that's a sense that we got from speaking with them. Yeah, and your piece outlines how Black drivers are more than twice as likely as white drivers to have stops that result in either no action or just a warning. 
You have a new police chief where you are in Fresno, Paco Balderrama. What did he say when you asked him if there's bias in his department? So specifically about racism or unconscious bias, he said that was vastly a minority of police officers. When I asked why these numbers don't add up, why there's so many more stops and arrests and searches on black drivers' cars, he said that that matched the racial makeup of the neighborhoods and gangs in Fresno that contribute to the most amount of crime, basically saying that the areas of Southwest and Southeast Fresno, where the police find more crime is also where they have more encounters with drivers who happen to also more often be Black. And you've reported that activists aren't satisfied with the answers that they are getting from the police department. You know, there's been a lot of talk about police reform in Fresno after the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis by police last year. Where do those talks stand? Right now, the uh, city council approved the um, a big report came out in November where activists and city leaders put together a list of 73 recommendations to improve the trust among community and improve policing for Fresno. Those recommendations have been approved by the city council, and now they're being reviewed in what can be a pretty long process. The police chief did seem very uh, committed to implementing a lot of those recommendations. He said that by the end of the year, they hope to implement about 20 of them. Some, he was more excited than others, and there's already implicit bias training at the police department. They plan to have more of that. All right, Manuela Tobias is a reporter at the Fresno Bee. Thank you so much for your reporting. Of course, thank you. And that is the California Report for this Monday, March 1st. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Make sure to check out our podcast wherever you get yours. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks so much for listening. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick in for Antonia Gonzalez. Billboards have gone up in multiple states urging lawmakers to confirm Representative Deb Holland's nomination as Secretary of Interior. The Hill reports the Global Indigenous Council and Rocky Mountain Tribal Leaders Council put up the billboards in West Virginia, Wyoming, Montana, and South Dakota. Those are the home states of Senators Joe Manchin, John Barrasso, Steve Daines, and Mike Rounds, respectively. Daines has been a vocal opponent and said he will vote against Holland's nomination. Manchin said he will vote for Holland. Global Indigenous Council President Tom Rogers said that the billboard went up before the senator announced his support. But Rogers noted that other lawmakers were not as courteous as Manchin, and the billboards are designed to, quote, teach them a teachable moment for history. The signs have images of Holland and say the first people to receive this land, the last to receive the vote, and our first Secretary of the Interior support Representative Deb Holland. Barrasso said of the billboards that Holland did not sufficiently answer questions during the hearing. A spokesperson for Danes said the senator, quote, respects the feedback from all Montanans. Two schools in Eugene, Oregon, were recently bestowed towering hand-carved totem poles by the school's District 4J Natives program. KLCC's Brian Bull reports. COVID-19 delayed delivery of the first pole to North Eugene High School by nearly a year. There was a much smaller crowd than usual, but they were no less appreciative. School principal Trinity welch Radabaugh. It's a way to honor our Native staff, students, and community to honor the land on which our school is built. 
Northey Jane senior Haley Nightpipe and junior Keith Sheck, both with the Natives program, were pleased to see the poles installed. It feels really great because we've worked so hard to get this thing up and we finally got it up. It feels good to know that like when I graduate, our legacy will still be here. The second pole was installed at Madison Middle School. Native staff say once on-campus schools are in session, there will be a larger ceremony for the totem poles. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull. In California, Native Americans are concerned they're being undercounted in data on deaths from COVID-19. USA Today reported indigenous leaders there as elsewhere are seeing significant numbers of deaths in their communities. Data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows American Indians and Alaska Natives are the single group hardest hit by the pandemic. But there's a longstanding problem in California and around the country of Native Americans being racially misclassified. The state has the largest number of American Indians and Alaska Natives, but they're often declared white, Latino or black on forms by hospital workers, or they're listed as other. In Colorado, Native American advocates last week made the case at a legislative committee hearing to replace a statue with a memorial to the Sand Creek Massacre. Colorado Public Radio reports protesters tore down a statue of a soldier that listed Sand Creek as a battle. In 1864, U.S. soldiers killed at least 230 Cheyenne and Arapaho people at Sand Creek, most of them women, children, and the elderly. Now, a proposed bronze statue created by a Sand Creek descendant could take its place. It depicts a Cheyenne woman sitting with her left arm extended while holding an empty cradle board, signifying the loss of her child. Some lawmakers have not opposed the statue, but have taken issue with putting it in such a prominent site. But Democratic State Representative Susan Lontine told the Denver Channel the location on the building's west steps is appropriate because troops returning from the massacre paraded body parts as trophies through the streets of Denver and ended at that spot. The Capital Development Committee plans discussion of location for a future meeting. The committee and the governor's office must approve that location before the full legislature can vote on it. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. In the regional weather forecast, for Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear tonight with an overnight low of 46 degrees. Partly cloudy Tuesday with a high of 64 degrees and a low in the mid-40s. Dry weather and light winds are expected to persist through most of the week, but a change is expected Saturday with showers and cooler temperatures moving in and sticking around for a few days. Tonight in Truckee, partly cloudy with a low of 19 degrees, Partly sunny skies in Truckee Tuesday with a high of 50 degrees and a low of 21. Truckee might be seeing rain, snow, and cooler temperatures by the end of the week. In Sacramento, mostly clear tonight with an overnight low of 38 degrees. Sunny in Sacramento Tuesday with a high of 72 degrees and a low of 42 with light winds. As you just heard on the California Report, Governor Newsom this morning announced a deal to use $2 billion in grants to incentivize California schools to reopen for their youngest students by the end of March. Legislation to enact the deal will dole out the money to schools that have reopened for in-person instruction by the end of March for kindergarten through second grades and high-need students of all ages, regardless of the level of coronavirus transmission in their county. Here is Newsom speaking this morning at Franklin Elementary School in Elk Grove. 
so many of our kids and caregivers uh, are celebrating this day because we all are united around coming back safely into the schools and helping with the social emotional supports that our kids so desperately need. As the pro tem said, this is a $6.6 billion commitment. $2 billion specifically for grants to help with in-person instruction. Those are grants that can provide more PPE, though we have set aside three months of free PPE for ventilation, for spacing, for issues related to health and safety. 4.6 billion of the 6.6 to deal with reimagining the school year, giving districts flexibility, looking at school days, looking at intervention, deeper intervention to address kids' wellness, to address their needs as it relates to community learning hubs, address learning loss as the districts see fit, including potentially extending the school year and moving the school year into the summer. 4.6 billion of that 6.6 provides for that flexibility. We incentivize opening up our schools by providing real resources to do it. We expect that all of our TK to two classrooms open within the next month. We wanna see more happen beyond that for unified going into red tiers. It's TK to six, and it's a commitment to one grade in middle and high school. And our core belief is this, once you dip your toe in, once you build a cohort confidently, once you build trust, then we will start to see a cadence of reopening across the spectrum. But again, on the basis of building confidence and trust, not only for the caregivers, not only for our educators, uh, but for parents as well that may be hesitant to bring their kids back in school as well. So we start with cohorts of those of greatest need, of greatest risk. And by the way, it's not just TK to two. It includes our homeless. It includes our foster kids. It includes kids without devices, without the internet. It includes kids that are English as second language learners. It includes the needs, most special needs, including IDD and physical disabilities. That's the commitment, that's our priority. We wanna see this happen all across the state of California and that's what this package provides. Nevada County remains in the widespread or purple tier where it has been for 14 weeks. When the new state data is updated Tuesday, Nevada County could meet the state's metrics for moving to a less restrictive tier for the first time in many weeks. But the county's case and positivity rates must continue to meet those metrics for two weeks to officially move to a lower tier. So stay tuned. Nevada County's test positivity rate is at 3.5%, and its average seven-day daily case rate is 11.3. California was to begin shifting to a new coronavirus vaccine distribution program on Monday, a plan developed by Blue Shield and intended to unify a patchwork of eligibility standards and speed up vaccine rollout efforts. Governor Newsom announced at the end of January that California would partner with Blue Shield to speed up the state's vaccination rollout and more equitably reach communities hit hardest by the pandemic. State officials hope to hit 4 million weekly vaccinations by the end of April. Blue Shield will be making recommendations to state health officials about how many doses each county should receive and which providers will distribute them. 
The recommendations will be based on California's priority groups and the state's goal to vaccinate more people from disadvantaged communities, according to Blue Shield CEO Paul Markovich. All 58 counties will make the switch by the end of March. A San Francisco Chronicle analysis of Postal Service data suggests that reports of a pandemic exodus from the Bay Area and the state have been exaggerated. Only 3.7% of the households and businesses that filed address changes in five Bay Area counties from March to November 2020 left California, a total of 4,264 move-outs, according to the data. In contrast, 72% of changes resulted in moves to other Bay Area counties, and about a fifth of the approximately 115,000 address changes went elsewhere in California. The data, reported by the San Francisco Chronicle today, covers Alameda, Contra Costa, Marin, San Francisco, San Mateo, and Santa Clara counties. Jeff Belisario, executive director of the Bay Area Council Economic Institute, a business-backed think tank, said the migration does not add up to an exodus, but it still represents a significant population shift, pushing rents and further tax revenue down, he said. The most popular out-of-state destination was Washington State, followed by Texas, Oregon, Nevada, Colorado, Idaho, and New York. Housing costs remain a huge disparity between California and the rest of the country, and often are cited as the main reason to move. Nevada County Cannabis Compliance and Ubinet.com will hold a virtual listening session at 5 p.m. Thursday to hear ideas from community members about building the county's cannabis program. The county listening session will explore what type of assistance would be most helpful to people who want to start or sustain cannabis businesses. The county says it is interested in knowing where community members believe financial assistance, if any, should be focused, and what components are needed to implement a cannabis equity program. Questions and comments can be submitted to this email address before the meeting, townhall at ubinet.com. More information is available at goodtogrownevadacounty.org. And we're proud to end this news roundup by announcing that Hospitality House has given KBMR's own Mikhail Graham an award to commemorate his 15 years of dedication to the Night of Giving, an annual musical benefit to help people without homes find permanent housing. Graham serves on the Hospitality House Board of Directors and was presented the commemorative award during the February 22nd board meeting. Graham started Night of Giving at Cooper's Bar in Nevada City one evening when he and his friends passed the hat to raise money for Hospitality House. That simple act of generosity has turned into an annual musical benefit featuring an abundance of Nevada County talent and hundreds of volunteers. Steve Castleberry, Hospitality House Board President, said, Mikhail's dedication to our board and to the community at large is something I wish more people knew about. Because he had the dream and desire to do something meaningful, people have homes again. And finally today, billionaires are becoming gajillionaires on the backs of failing companies. Jim Hightower has something to say about that. Let's say you're a millionaire. 
That's a lot of money, right? Now let's say you're a billionaire. That's a lot more money, but how much more? Think of all those dollars as seconds on a clock. A million seconds would total 11 days, but a billion seconds equals nearly 32 years. Rich is nice, but billionaire rich is over the moon, and the wealth of billionaires is now zooming out of this world. There are only 2,200 of these uber-rich dudes in the world, but the wealth stashed away by these elites hit a new record this summer, averaging more than $4 billion each. On average, they've even pocketed an extra half billion bucks in the midst of the COVID-19 economic crash. Bear in mind that these fortunate few did nothing to earn this haul. They didn't work harder, didn't get one digit smarter, didn't create some new breakthrough product to benefit humankind. They just cranked back in their gold-plated lazy boys and let their money make money for them. Then there are multimillionaire corporate chieftains who are cashing in on their own failure. Having closed stores throughout America, fired thousands of workers, stiff suppliers and creditors, taken bailout money from taxpayers, and even led their corporations into bankruptcy, the CEOs of such collapsing giants as Hertz, J.C. Penney, and Toys R Us have grabbed millions of dollars in, believe it or not, bonus payments. The typical employee at J.C. Penney, for example, is held to part-time work, making under $12,000 a year. Thousands of them are now losing even that miserly income as the once mighty retailer is shutting 154 stores. Yet, the CEO was paid a $4.5 million cash bonus before the company filed for bankruptcy this year. This is Jim Hightower saying, and still the corporate establishment wonders why the people consider it a club of heartless, greedy bastards. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, Disability Wrap with Anna Acton looks at the movement to prioritize COVID-19 vaccinations for people with disabilities. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. You've been listening to the KVMR Evening News on KVMR in Nevada City. Your opinion is valuable to us, so don't forget to fill out our listener survey. You can find it online at kvmr.org survey.